Right. Good evening. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Monday, February 5th. The time is 5.07 p.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to, come to, wish to comment will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Don? Here. Vice President Juan? Here. Commissioner Bermejo? Here. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Tompkins? Here. Commissioner Yuan? Here. President on, we have a quorum. Excellent. Next item, please. All right, the next item is the consent calendar. This includes items two through five. So we'll start with item two, the president's welcome, uh, and enforce uh, our uh, land acknowledgement. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytushaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize the Ramaytushaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramatushaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge and in how we care for San Francisco and all its peoples. Commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, welcome to tonight's meeting. Today's meeting promises to be both impactful and introspective. We'll review the Household Hazard Waste <coughs> Collection Program Agreement explore battery collection solutions, and most importantly, evaluate the Environment Department's proposed budget for the coming fiscal year. Facing stiff budgetary headwinds, the Commission must do all in its power to ensure that San Francisco's environmental programs continue to thrive. This meeting is also something of a crossroads. Our agenda will conclude tonight with the elections for the positions of Commission President and Vice President, and tonight marks my final meeting as President. Looking back, I'm proud of the, what the Commission has accomplished over the past two years. We've transformed uh, ourselves from remote to in-person meetings, working to promote accessibility and inclusion. In addition, we've also worked hard to implement our ambitious climate action plan, increase oversight of contracts and grants, streamline our meeting schedule, and help select the Environment Department's next director. It, uh, my script says it's bittersweet to step down, but I'll say it's actually exciting to step down. <laughs> and I'm confident that the new environmental leader will build on these achievements and chart a new path forward. I think a lot about myself of the work I've done in my professional life as a nonprofit executive director in environmental justice. I think a lot about what will remain in the movement and how to carry it on in the next generation of leadership. So as we close this one meeting tonight, well, I'd like you to think about that, who's the next leader who can perhaps carry your own torch in the future. And with that, let's get started. I believe we have now item number three, staff introductions with uh, Director Ju. Thank you, President Ahn. Uh, 
talking about passing the torch on to the next generation. I'm pleased to welcome a number of new people that we have on staff at the Depart Environment Department. So I'm going to ask everyone that's in person to, to come on up to the front. Uh, we're going to ask you to say a few words and introduce yourself. Uh, and we'll first start with Sierra Barston, who is joining us as our new environmental justice assistant. Hi, nice to meet you all. Um, I'm joining the EJ team as the new environmental justice assistant. I've just moved here from Brooklyn, and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, next up, we have Sebastian Garb, who's going to be our new clean transportation assistant. Hello, nice to meet you. Um, I'm Sebastian Garb, and it is a pleasure to be serving uh, SF Environment as the new clean transportation assistant coordinator. Thank you. Next, we have Spencer Lee, who is joining our environmental education team. Hello, commissioners. I am an environmental education associate, associate uh, with the school education team. I'm a native San Franciscan, born and raised here, and I'm excited to teach environmental education to youth in San Francisco. All right. Next up, we have Brian Liu, who is joining our green business team. Hello, commissioners. Uh, I am Brian Liu. I am joining the Toxics Reduction Team as a Green Business Associate. Um, I'm a SoCal native, just graduated from UC Berkeley. This is my first job. I'm very excited to be here and doing important work like this. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Alejandro Robles, who is our California Sustainability Service Corps Fellow, working on our Zero Waste Team. Um. Hi, I'm Alejandra Robles, and I am a Zero Waste Fellow on the Sustainability Service Corps program. Um, I will be assisting both the residential and city government sectors on several food waste prevention programs. So nice to meet you. All right, and finally, we have uh, one person joining us remotely. We have Ariana Lawrence, who is one of our uh, clean transportation team new members. Ariana? Hello, sorry, that was a little, um, can you, everybody hear me? Yes, we yes, can we hear can. you. Okay, excellent. Hi, um, I'm Ariana Lawrence. I'm a Clean Cities intern with the Clean Transportation team. I'm a second year at Pomona College um, in SoCal, studying public policy analysis with a concentration in environmental analysis. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm really looking forward to working with SF Environment. All right, thank you, Ariana, and, and welcome to all of our new employees. And so we can give them a round of applause and thank you. For and, as, and as we conclude this item, uh, you are free to go, so don't feel like you're more than welcome to stay for the entire commission meeting. But if you'd like to go, don't worry about it. Don't feel embarrassed. Just head on out. That concludes our new staff introductions. Thank you, Director Drew. So now we're moving on to item number four, approval of the meeting minutes of December 4, 2023. I believe we have an explanatory document, the copy of the meeting minutes. Uh, any discussion on this, colleagues? If not, could I have a motion to approve? I move that we approve the minutes. We have a motion from Commissioner Bermeja. I second. A, uh, a second from Commissioner Tompkins. Um, with that, we'll go to public comment. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this motion? All right, and seeing none, public comment is closed. 
I, I'm sorry, I realized we consolidated. Um, there were two different approvals that we have to uh, do. So perhaps we'll call for public comment one more time after the um, second, uh, the fifth item, if that's okay, Kyle. Uh, just a point of uh, clarification, uh, Chair on, um, given that the motion is for one of the minutes, um, would you prefer a vote on um, this motion followed by a vote on potentially a, a motion I, for the other yeah, minutes? Yeah, I think okay. that would be good. Okay, I'll now call the roll. President on. Aye. Vice President Juan. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Yuen. Aye. Okay, with that, the uh, motion carries on that item, but I see we have another uh, set of minutes to approve from the Operations Committee. This is on January 10th. Do we have a motion? I'll move approval. Okay, a motion by Commissioner Sullivan, second? Second, I'll uh, second. Okay, a second from Commissioner Tompkins. With that, perhaps public comment one more time. Okay, we'll open it up for public comment on the Operations Committee meeting minutes. Are there any speakers who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, public comment is closed. Roll call vote, please. President on. Aye. Vice President Juan. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Yuan. Aye. And with that, the motion carries as well. Thanks for your patience on that. So with that, the next item plan, please. Okay. Um, the next item is item six. Presentation of the Johanna Wald Environmental Service Award to Jennifer Berg. This item is for discussion. I'm sorry, I, I also see um, general public comment perhaps after, or is my... Um... Uh, yes, um, Commissioner, as the chair, you do have the discussion to move um, item 14, general public comment, um, earlier in the meeting. Um, I'd, I'd like to exercise that um, um, privilege. So okay. let's then hear item 14 right now on general public comment. Okay, the next item is item 14, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and not, are not on today's agenda. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on item 14? Okay, and seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Great, and next item, I believe now we're at okay. six again. The next item is item six, presentation of the Johanna Wald Environmental Service Award to Jennifer Berg. This item is for discussion. Commissioner Tompkins, would you like to make today's presentation? Yes, it's my pleasure to present to Joanna, the Johanna Wald Environmental Service Award to Jennifer Berg, former program administrator at the Bay Area Regional Energy Network. Jenny led Bay Ren for more than 13 years, and her impact there has been transformative. Leveraging her background and experience as an environmental defense attorney, Jenny expanded Bay Ren from a single program to 10 regional and statewide programs. Through Bay Wren, Jenny has helped countless Bay Area residents and businesses save money and reduce their carbon footprint. And her work there has made San Francisco a greener, more equitable city. Here's a sample of what Jenny accomplished during her tenure. At Bay Wren, Jenny established an energy efficiency program that upgraded over 12,000 residential units, most of which are affordable multifamily housing. She advocated for regulatory policies that enabled the long-term development of Bay Ren's business and refrigerant programs, which support small and micro businesses across the Bay Area. Jenny led the development of two major regulatory filings that provide stable, sustained funding sources for the environment 
Department's energy efficiency programs. And she supported the publication of a powerful online tool to inform San Francisco's energy policies and promote access to energy consumption data. While Jenny retired from Bayren last year, her legacy there will endure for years to come. And on behalf of the Commission on the Environment, thank you, Jenny, and congratulations. Thank you, Mr. President and Commissioners. If I could just say a few words. Um, thank you so much. I'm truly, truly honored to receive this award. Um, of course, I appreciate the acknowledgement of Bayren um, and my own personal accomplishments, but I'd like to say that Bayren really would not have existed if it wasn't for SF, um, SFE. SFE was one of the um, initial supporters of the idea of a regional program. Um, the late Cal Broomhead was a real visionary. He provided a lot of resources, as did Ann Kelly, who also has retired. I'd like to acknowledge the dedication and hard work as, of SFE staff. I've had the pleasure to work with Kara, who I know is online, from the, when she was at the County of San Mateo, um, with Lowell, who I, I had a very close um, personal and, and working relationship. Um, particularly as he navigated the very choppy waters of the Bayren business program. And Tyrone, I'd like to say I'm sorry that we didn't get to work together too long, but I admired your handling of that quite contentious meeting, the calm and professionalism that you've shown. And I'd also like to um, express my appreciation for your strong support of both Bayren and your staff. I just wanted to make two quick comments about why this award is particularly meaningful for me. First, it's from the city and county of San Francisco, the city that raised me. Uh, I was born and raised in San Francisco, and it taught me the values upon which the city um, is, is founded on, uh, as well as allowed me to learn to use my voice to stand up for what is right. I'm sorry that my dear mother is not here. She was a, an elected official in San Francisco many times over, uh, and she truly loved this city. And finally, I'm truly honored to be the first recipient of the Johanna Weld Environmental Services Award. Like Johanna, I was an attorney uh, and worked in the environmental field. Call it a twist of fate or karma, but when Johanna retired, she became a very, very active political resistor, as we call ourselves, with a group called Activate America. As I retired, I stepped up my political volunteering also with Activate America. So I did not know who Johanna Weld was until Lowell had contacted me and I saw her on a Zoom screen. So I'm very honored that Johanna is here tonight as well as Ronnie from Activate America. So thank you all very, very much. It's very meaningful to me. If there are no other comments from commissioners, perhaps we'll move to attendees, members of the public. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Lowell Chu, um, Energy Program Manager, and I'm delighted that we are here to celebrate a remarkable individual whose dedication, vision, and tireless efforts has transformed the landscape of energy efficiency in San Francisco and the Bay Area. It was a great honor that I congratulate Jenny. 
on receiving the prestigious Johanna Wald Environmental Services Award. For over a decade, Jenny has been the director of Bayran. It was her vision for a regional approach to energy efficiency that led to the growth of this organization from a single residential energy efficiency program to 10 programs, including a statewide program. Now, Bayran has programs in residential, commercial, workforce development, water conservation, codes, standards, and others. You've heard some of the local impact Jenny's leadership has had on our programs, particularly on multifamily residential. Again, 12,000 residential units upgraded, over 10 million in incentives. Those are just a direct impact on San Francisco. The indirect impact are the good paying jobs that these projects created for the contractors, the improvement in residential services, in safety and efficiency, and the program forced a way to provide rebates for electric cooktops and heat pumps, one of the first programs in the state to do that. At the same time, Jenny Stantry supported development and launch of two commercial programs, both led by the department, and as Jenny mentioned, when one of these programs was experiencing existential crisis, Jenny jumped in to lead and facilitate a resolution. Today, that very shaky program is solidly grounded. In just six months, it has upgraded nearly 100 hard-to-reach small businesses in the Bay Area. But perhaps even more remarkable than the technical achievement is Jenny's ability to inspire change and rally others to a cause. To me, Jenny has served as a mentor, a champion, and a catalyst not only for the Bayron organization, but for other individuals and organizations igniting a regional movement towards a more sustainable and equitable future. Jenny, your legacy will endure as a testament to the power of your vision, your leadership, unwavering dedication, and on behalf of everyone you've touched and worked with, congratulations on this well-deserved honor. Thank you. Seeing no other attendees, is there anyone on the Zoom? Hi, Kara, would you like to speak? Good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm Kara Batista Rao, a senior energy specialist here at the San Francisco Environment Department. And I'm so excited to be able to congratulate Jenny tonight on her well-deserved recognition and the award she's receiving. Um, I first met Jenny more than a, almost a decade ago working at another county. And then I had the pleasure and privilege of working with her for the past two years as we worked on the two Bayron commercial programs that I lead. One thing I want to highlight for everyone is Jenny's unwavering focus on equity, um, really supporting building equity into our programs to ensure that we're serving those who most need these programs in the community <clears throat> and ensuring that the staff working on these programs have access to resources and training to implement it. So thank you again, Jenny, for your vision, for your leadership, and for your collaboration. And congratulations again on receiving this award tonight. Any further members on either remote or 
members of the public. Okay, with that then, uh, I believe we need to pause for a portrait with the recipient right now. Can you direct us in the best location? Thank you, Scott. Oh yes, Joanna, please come join us as well. A former Commissioner Wald. With that, next item, please. Okay, and um, seeing that we've already provided public comment for item six, the next item is item seven, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2024-01-COE, resolution authorizing household hazardous waste facility agreement that sponsors Palio Hea, Toxics Reduction and Healthy Communities Program Manager. The speaker is Huey Lay, Residential Toxics Reduction Program Coordinator. The explanatory documents are the Household Hazardous Waste Collection Program Agreement Draft, and resolution file 2024-01-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Pally O'Hea, and I'm the program manager for the Toxics Reduction and Healthy Communities team. And tonight you'll be hearing two presentations from our residential toxics coordinator, Huey Lay. Uh, the presentation you're about to watch is about the city's household hazardous waste collection programs, which are run by Recology via an agreement with the city. The presentation will give you some context on the resolution before you, which, if approved, would authorize the director of the Environment Department to execute a renewal of this agreement, which is called the Household Hazardous Waste Collection Programs Agreement. The agreement, which has been renewed every five years since 1987, is up for renewal, and it is this agreement that allows Recology to operate the programs you're about to hear about. So I'll turn it over to Huey now to tell you more about the agreement itself and the Household Hazardous Waste Collection programs. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you for having me. Should I advance or should I ask you to advance, Kyle? I can advance the slides, Huey. Thanks. Got it. Okay. So um, my name is Hui or Huey Lei. I am the Residential Toxics Reductions Program Coordinator for San Francisco Environment Department. And so today I'll be talking about the Household Hazardous Waste Program and provide some context as it relates to the agreement and the resolution you have here in front of you. 
So I would like to kind of start off with a bit of history to better, to better understand where this program came from and how it has developed into where it is today. And so uh, in 1988, uh, the CD and County of San Francisco, along with Recology, opened the permanent household hazardous waste collection facility that you see here in this picture. It is one of the oldest, if not the first program in the nation and of its kind, and so there's a lot of history to this. And so it's funded by the refuse rate, and it was intended to provide a disposal option for household hazardous waste that didn't belong in the landfill. And it was understood at that time before really anyone else did that. It wasn't until 1995 where the California Department of Toxic Substance Control started regulating facilities that collect this item or collect this category of waste. And so one of the regulatory requirements is that uh, a local government agency um, serves as the operator of the facility. An alternative to that is that the city signs a written agreement with an operator to collect these wastes on behalf of San Francisco. Under the current agreement, um, the city serves as the legal generator of this waste from cradle to grave, whereas Recology serves as the day-to-day -day operator of collection and its programs. The current term uh, is five years in the current agreement uh, and is set to expire on March 31st. Um, uh, the agreement, the current agreement has been updated and be review, has been reviewed by a department along with approval from the risk manager and the city attorney. And it, we just recently received feedback from Recology with their comments. Um, and so, next slide. And so, um, of course, these items don't belong in the three bin, uh, and since the facility first opened, there's been a number of programmatic changes, and so I wanted to share them with you tonight as the HHW program really is an integral part of the municipal recycling and solid waste management infrastructure. Next slide. And so I wanted to kind of share some of those programs with you. Here we can see the list of collection programs we have available. I talked about the HHW facility. It is open Thursday, Friday, Saturdays from eight to four. Uh, we also, in 1996, we've also uh, started partnering with retail collection sites to collect some of your more common household hazardous waste items that are less regulated that allow some of these businesses to collect on our behalf. Uh, currently, we have about over 70 collection partners, which is quite huge. They range from um, hardware stores, uh, paint sites, paint stores, uh, and, and different pharmacies uh, in San Francisco. We uh, also, you can find uh, drop-off sites by uh, going on uh, our dedicated website, sfrecycles.org. Uh, we also have a door-to-door -door collection programs where you can schedule an appointment uh, and um, we call you will go out and pick up the waste directly from your home. We understood that uh, not all San Franciscans have access to a vehicle, so it makes sense to have this. And also, I don't think transporting household hazardous waste on public transit probably wouldn't be the best idea. Um, we have our curbside and apartment battery collection programs, which I'll dive 
a bit deeper in my next presentation, but this provides one of the most convenient options for residents to really recycle their batteries. Um, and not listed here is our very small quantity generator program, which aims to help small businesses that generate 27 gallons or less of hazardous waste per month to qualify for this program, which subsidize uh, the disposal costs of, of hazardous waste to encourage and incentivize businesses to properly dispose of it, as opposed to going with a third-party hazardous waste contractor, which can often be costly and time-consuming. Next slide. And so we have this program in place, I think for obvious reasons, is to protect public health and, and, and safety. Um, if improperly disposed of, household hazardous waste can make its way to the sort line of ecology where a lot of these people sorting these materials are uh, constantly exposed to this material. So we want to try to minimize that exposure. And I'm sure you've heard that you can make bombs with uh, household ingredients. And this is also true with fires that happen at transfer stations and, and ecology trucks as the reaction of different chemicals causes fire. Um, and of course, the obvious is that um, if improperly disposed of, household hazardous waste can contaminate our soil and ultimately our drinking water. Next slide. So here I wanted to kind of provide some, some, some figures for you to get a perspective of how much is collected and processed through our programs. First, um, these numbers are based on averages in the past 10 years. Um, in the past, uh, every year we collect roughly uh, a million pounds of household hazardous waste. This excludes e-waste. E-waste is about another 1.5 million pounds per year. Um, the program serves 11,000 residents annually, uh, based on all of our programs, uh, collect over 37,000 gallons of household paint, um, and then also 160,000 pounds of household batteries. And through the VSQG program, about another 100,000 pounds. Next slide. And so here on this pie chart, it gives you uh, kind of an idea of the top waste categories that are collected through all of our programs uh, in pounds. Uh, paint representing the majority of waste that is collected. Paint uh, is uh, recycled in the highest and best use. A majority of uh, paint that is collected and is perfectly reusable is mixed with light colors and then bulked into five gallon buckets and given out to the public free of charge. Um, and other paint is also mixed as used as feedstock to manufacture new paint. And you can also see some of the other collection numbers here. Uh, batteries, um, we collect roughly 160,000 pounds every year, followed by flammables. Flammables kind of a broad category. Gasoline, kerosene, any flammable materials, really. Um, and fluorescent lights, and followed by used motor oil. Next slide. Uh, and I just really wanted to wrap up and really reinforce the importance of this program. It's been uh, around for a while, and we have hopes to expand uh, collection opportunities for our San Franciscans. Here is a picture of Carlos. He is one of three door-to-door -door drivers, and you can see the truck that's used to um, transport and pick up household hazardous waste. And so if you have any questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer them.
and thank you for your time. Yes. Uh, and commissioners, I just want to add one more point of context that one of the reasons we're bringing this to the commission is based on the action taken earlier last year, uh, asking that we bring forward any sort of agreements or contracts with Recology to this commission for approval. And so this is our process to do so. Other questions or concerns? I have one uh, brief question. I think it's great that the paint that's collected is sort of prepared for use by the public. How does the public find out about what's available? That's a good question. It's not really actively promoted. Uh, a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, I believe it's on our website, uh, but this program has kind of been a bit too successful. Uh, years ago, we used to accumulate thousands and thousands of gallons, so much that it could fit in a sh shipping container. And so it would often be shipped off to another country to use to paint to paint communities. But nowadays, I guess it's so widely known that it, 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 people kind of take it when it gets bulked into those five-gallon buckets. Uh, Commissioner Tompkins? Yeah, just one question. I, again, it's separate from the three bin. Is there any um, evidence that people are confused that the three bin is not for this purpose? Um, there are messages on the black landfill bin describing that a household has its waste do not belong in any of the three bins. We widely uh, uh, include this in all of our outreach materials and inform residents as much as we could. Uh, yes, Commissioner one, Sullivan. One more question. So if, if there's hazardous waste that doesn't get into this system and it just goes into the black bin and goes through the extremely sophisticated processing facility that NorCal has, is there any way to pluck batteries out of that system? I know the very last thing is human beings are, are there trying to get the stuff that didn't, didn't go into the glass or aluminum or paper. Is, it, is there any chance of removing hazardous waste at that point? When it enters the landfill bin, the black landfill bin is what you're asking? It, it's quite difficult at that point to try to remove waste at that point. There, Recology does uh, operate a, a, a um, low check-in program where waste that goes through their facilities are sometimes um, checked if hazardous waste is improperly disposed of. This is morally regulated at the public dump where people are tossing stuff that ends up sometimes in landfills. Uh, Recology employees will go through it and see if there's any hazardous waste that's pulled out. For batteries, I, I highly doubt it because they're so small and try to identify right. it, especially when it's in multiple bags. Right. So we're doing our best, but there is some hazardous waste that gets into the landfill. Yes, there is, yes. So seeing no other, no other uh, discussion by commissioners, I think we need a motion to essentially move this resolution forward. Do I have a motion? I move that we move the resolution forward. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Bermejo, a second? A second. A second from Commissioner Vice President Juan. Um, with that, we'll go to public comment. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? All right, and seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Please call the roll. President Anand? Aye. 
Vice President Wan. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Yuan. Aye. And with that, the resolution passes. So thanks again for your work. Um, with that, then next item. All right, the next item is item eight, update on battery collection programs. The sponsor is Paulie Ojea, Toxics Reduction and Healthy Communities Program Manager. The speaker is Huey Laid, Residential Toxics Reduction Program Coordinator. This item is for discussion. I don't think we planned to, you know, give you all the hazardous waste information in one meeting, but here you go. So I'm back. You know me, Paulie Ojea, uh, Toxics Reduction Program Manager, and Hui's going to come back up here and talk about a particular stream of hazardous waste, which we touched upon a little bit, which is batteries. Um, batteries are an item that almost all of us depend on every single day in one form or another, and all of us eventually must dispose of. The city, in partnership with Recology and several retail drop-off sites that we mentioned, has established a robust battery recycling program, so we ensure that these valuable materials are given a new life and we keep them out of the waste stream. Today's presentation will focus on existing collection programs as well as delve into some of the emerging concerns in battery collection and how we are addressing them. On to you. Hello again. Yeah, when the, I was asked to pre do two presentations tonight, I was like, two presentations at a commission meeting? <laughs> but I've been in this industry for almost 20 years now, so I should know the program, right? Uh, hello again, Hui Lei, San Francisco Environment Department. So this presentation is a little bit different. This is on uh, San Francisco's battery collection program. I know a whole topic just on batteries, it's, it's important. Um, so batteries remains to be a topic of discussion with my team and my counterparts throughout California, uh, mainly because the demand for these has risen quite a bit over the past decade. Uh, and technological advances have made batteries more compact and more powerful. And so, of course, they're becoming more popular. And so, um, let me just pull this out a little bit. So batteries, they contain a number of different chemicals. They're corrosive. They contain heavy metals and other chemicals that are a concern that can contaminate their environment. Um, and also, they potentially pose a fire risk if improperly disposed of. Uh, recycling batteries have many ben Oh, yeah. Sorry. Next slide. Yes. So batteries have many benefits um, to recycle them. Uh, of course, they conserve natural resources, which is important in um, a sustainable and circular economy. There's been a growing market for the secondary materials uh, from these batteries, particularly lithiums. And so this really reinforces the importance of really collecting as many as we can. And to ensure uh, batteries are properly collected, uh, we developed probably one of the most convenient disposal programs that you can have, I think. Uh, so next slide. So uh, believe it or not, we have five different ways for you to recycle your batteries. But for the sake of time, I'll cover three of them, which represents uh, more than 90% of all batteries collected on our programs. Next slide. And so the first one I'm sure you've heard of is our curbside bin top batteries, where residents in single family homes of five units or less and have access to the three bin system can put their batteries 
in a clear plastic bags and placed on top of their black landfill bin on their uh, Recology Refuse pickup date. Recology will then pick it up, put it in a separate five gallon bucket, take it back to their transfer station where it is sorted uh, according to chemistry and size, uh, and then it's shipped off to be recycled. Uh, next slide. This is further reinforced uh, on a label that has been placed on all black landfill bins as part of a 2017 uh, bin top signage refresh. Next slide. We also, for multifamily unit buildings uh, that don't have the three bins, um, residents can request their property managers um, to get a five gallon battery bucket from Recology, as you see here, um, where it is placed in more common, uh, high traffic areas for residents to dispose of their household batteries. Um, and when it's full, they can call the number on the bucket and Recology will go out there and pick it up for them. Next slide. We also have our network of retail collection sites, which I briefly touched on in the previous presentation. Uh, we've, in 96, we partnered with over 70, well now we have 70, over 70 retail collection partners from hardware stores and pharmacies and um, various other small businesses to serve as collection points. And with so many sites, of course you need a site to try to find where these are at, so you can go on our website, sfrecycles.org, to find your closest drop-off location. Next slide. And so here you can kind of get a breakdown of a distribution of uh, batteries that's collected based on different programs. And so you can see here in green, curbside bin top represents the majority of batteries collected followed by our retail collection site and then our apartment battery bucket at 8%. This number in particular, apartment battery, is something to keep in mind as I'll discuss this a bit more uh, in the other slides. Next slide. Here is a graph to kind of show the collection numbers over the period of 11 years from 2012 to 2023 on the x-axis. And on the y-axis is the weight in thousands of pounds collected. Um, and here is just showing that really battery collection has increased over the years. And it's uh, in household hazardous waste, this is one of the only categories that have shown an increase over the years, uh, as you can see on that trend line there. Next slide. And here, uh, this slide gives you a bit more perspective of how much more batteries we can actually collect. And so on the left uh, bar, this is the a weight that has been collected in a given year. And on the right side is the weight of batteries sold within San Francisco. Uh, keep in mind that the weight um, sold is based on the national adjusted for San Francisco's population. But there's still quite a bit to do and collect. Next slide. So what have we done or are we doing to help get those numbers up and improve safety uh, collection? And so, um, next slide. Uh, in 2018, we launched our first uh, battery, dedicated battery outreach campaign referred to as Help Beat Battery Waste. And so, this was based on a 2017 survey 
uh, to better understand the public's behavior around disposing household hazardous waste. And one of the questions asked was, what about batteries? What do you do with your batteries? And what we found from that survey was that everyone has batteries. Uh, majority of residents understood that batteries don't belong in the black bin. However, the majority of them weren't aware of those programs. And so with that information, we launched this battery campaign. Next slide. Um, and so we wanted to create a campaign focusing on two of the most convenient disposal programs, that being the uh, apartment battery bucket. And so with a simple slogan, easy to remember, don't chuck it, bucket. And next slide. And for the single family residents, <laughs> don't drop it, top it. I know, it's very catchy uh, in reference to our single family program. Next slide. And so the majority of the batteries uh, I've, I've discussed already focuses on household batteries. So common, AA, AAA, CD, laptop batteries, and from tools. But an emerging category of batteries is, uh, are from e-mobility devices. These are like your electric bikes, your scooters, your one wheel. And so those, have become, those are becoming quite popular. And so we're seeing this category of waste that don't belong in any of our collection programs and pose a bit more of a concern. Next slide. And you can go through, keep going, and keep going one more. And so here, I'm sure you've seen in the news with fires as has been happening with these e-bike batteries. And so as I mentioned, it is an emergent issue that we're trying to address. Next slide. One. Uh, uh, solution is that call to recycle a uh, producer responsibility organization overseeing the collection of batteries partnered with 14 uh, bike shops to collect e-bike batteries and while that may be a band-aid to the bigger problems what about some of the e other e-mobility devices well Recology recently started accepting these type of batteries because they understood that if they're not managed properly they're going to end up at Recology and someone could possibly get hurt. And so we're slowly um, figuring out what other methods of collection can we offer to the public. Next slide. So another emerging battery category is vape pens. Uh, they're quite widely used. Um, however, this poses a number of other concerns as uh, vape pens can be um, Vape pens also accompany some sort of cartridge, whether that be some nicotine or cannabis. And so cannabis still being a federally regulated item, it's something that we can't uh, accept due to regulatory requirements. And so, however, if uh, the cartridge can be removed from the battery itself, the battery can be recycled. Um, and so we're looking closely at also solutions to this, to this growing issue. Next slide. Oh, you can go through those too. Those are kind of news articles on some of the issues related to vape pens. And next slide. So what are we doing to uh, inform residents about some of these programs and, and increase uh, safety collection? Uh, next step, next slide. Uh, well, one thing we're doing um, is to encourage the use of rechargeable batteries from single use to help minimize our, our waste. And so 
This was developed uh, from one of our Toxics Reductions grant recipients, Bay Area Video Coalition. They developed uh, two PSAs, one on, on toxic cookware, uh, nonstick toxic cookware, and the other being this rechargeable PSA. Next slide. Uh, we're also currently working with Recology on really um, getting the message out there on our apartment battery program. As you saw earlier, uh, um, apartment buildings represent only 8% of batteries collected. However, 75% uh, of San Francisco's housing is multifamily dwelling units. And also, uh, only about 10% of multifamily buildings participate in our battery collection programs. And so this is huge opportunity for us to target these groups and see if we can get them to participate. Next slide. Um, and lastly, we're working with Supervisor Peskin's office as they are, they've drafted a um, ordinance on, or legislation on um, e-mobility device charging as uh, some of these fires uh, relate to the charging of e-mobility devices. And so one component of this legislation is for the Department of the Environment and to work with the fire department on developing an outreach campaign focusing on not just charging, but also the recycling of batteries. And I think that's the last slide. And so thank you again for listening to me ramble on, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Yeah, for um, the multi-unit bucket, uh, the red bucket, that's an opt-in. It's not a must, like a requirement for multi-units to have that. Yeah, currently it is an, an option. I think we explored the idea of making this a requirement, but there were some roadblocks on trying to move that forward. And how many, just out of curiosity, how many buckets have been distributed across the city? Do you happen to know ballpark? I don't have a number, but uh, approximately 10% of all multifamily buildings have a battery bucket. Yeah. Multifamily being two units or more? Or what's your? I think by definition, it's f more than five units. Okay, so five, five no, units five, and more. Five and mm -hmm. yeah. Other questions, thoughts? Well, thanks for this work. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I believe we have to go to public comment one more time on this item. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on item eight? Okay, and seeing none, public comment on item eight is closed. Well, thanks again, Hui, and uh, Polly, for your, you know, doing back-to-back -back presentations is an extraordinary feat, I think. Yeah. Okay, with that, next item, please. All right, the next item is item nine, review and vote on whether to approve the Environment Department's budget for fiscal years 2024-25 and 2025-26. The sponsors are Tyrone Chu, Director, <laughs> and Leo Chi, Deputy Director. The speaker is Joe Salem, Finance Program Manager. The explanatory document is the Environment Department draft budget for fiscal years 2024-25 and 2025-26. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, commissioners, I'm just going to turn this over to our uh, Chief Administrative Officer and Deputy Director, Leo Chi, who's going to handle the presentation. But uh, just to set some context, we've said uh, this before at the full, last full commission meeting and at the Operations Committee meeting that this is a very difficult and challenging year uh, budget-wise for the city. Uh, Leo is going to go over the exact projections, but they're projecting almost a billion-dollar deficit over the, the budget period. So 
the city is actively looking for areas of to cut back in order to uh, have a balanced budget proposal. So Leo's going to go over what we're what we've been working on since our last operations committee meeting, where we discussed the item. Great, thank you so much. It's great to be here in person. Um, and um, Joe and I will switch off. Um, he'll handle a lot of the financial tables. Um, but let's go ahead and look at the agenda slide, please. So we'll start off with um, just walking you through the budget process. Um, a lot of you have heard this um, before, but we just want to make sure everybody in the public is also able to just hear what's happening going forward. Um, we'll provide a budget summary, um, sharing some of the key numbers and information about grants in our budget. Um, we'll talk about some of the general fund considerations that we're making, um, because that's where the central city agencies are focused in terms of the overall city's budget deficit. Um, and then we'll talk briefly about the landfill contracting process to give you an update on that and then talk about next steps. Um, so with that, um, the budget process, um, we can go ahead and progress to the next slide. So it's ordinance number 294-19 that prescribes San Francisco's budget timetable. So um, basically there's specific requirements about making sure that we have public meetings to allow for public input um, and that needs to be more than 15 days before the budget is approved. So um, we heard this, um, we got a budget intro last year and then the first meeting for our official requirements was the operations meeting that we had in January and then this is that second meeting um, that's for the commission to decide whether to approve moving forward with our budget proposal. Um, and the dates are here. So um, the meetings must be held by February 14th. Um, Joe and I need to make sure that our department gets our submitted budget by February 21st because there's no extensions. And the controller then does some processing and submits its budget to the mayor by March 1st. And then um, for a subset of the total departments, it's May 1st that the mayor submits her proposed budget. So um, it's some departments have a fixed two-year budget. We're have, we have a rolling two-year budget, so each year we're looking at two years, but we are part of the group that um, the mayor will submit a proposal by May 1st. So next slide. Um, yeah, so this is just, again, a reminder about our different teams, which I think um, you've heard about in a range of meetings, and we looked in detail at the specific program budgets for each of these groups. Um, next slide. Um, and then just to recap the mayor's instructions to the departments, um, because of the projected $245 million budget shortfall in this coming budget year, um, fiscal year 2024 to 25, and then um, unchecked, it's projected to grow to $554 million by fiscal year 2025-26. Um, the mayor's budget office has asked general fund departments um, or departments who receive any general fund to implement the mid-year budget cuts that were previously agreed upon to reduce general fund support by 10% with ongoing savings and to provide 5% contingency proposals for consideration by the mayor's office. So um, next slide. The, the, for our department, the budget instructions translate to a $200,000 reduction um, for each year. 
Um, the context for that is they've asked us to focus on maintaining our core department programs and essential operations, um, and we're also responsible for balancing the non-general fund supported parts of our budget, which are the vast majority of our dollars. Um, additionally, um, the mayor's office did come back and ask um, uh, offer some additional um, direction to departments, just asking us to produce hiring plans um, to show them what our plans were in terms of um, when we plan to hire and what positions we're holding for attrition. Um, and they've also asked us for additional information that we'll um, dig into a little bit later. But first I'll um, hand off to Joe to start off our budget summary um, and he'll share some of the numbers and I'll jump in and talk about some of the grants in the middle of that. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Jill Salem. I am the uh, budget manager for the San Francisco Environment Department. Great. Um, so as, as some of you may know, uh, the San Francisco Environment Department has both an annual appropriation ordinance, or AAO budget, um, as well as uh, an annual operating budget. Uh, the AAO budget request is what we deliver to the mayor's office uh, on February 21st, but the operating budget is a more a comprehensive representation of the department's spending plan. Uh, essentially, the operating budget, budget takes into consideration the department's entire current projections for revenues and expenditures in any given fiscal year, uh, whereas the AAO budget uh, only captures new funding that we're going to be requesting in a given fiscal year. Uh, and we see this illustrated on the slide here. Um, while the AAO budget proposal that we'll submit to the mayor's office will be approximately $38 million uh, for fiscal 2025, uh, we anticipate actually utilizing approximately $42 million in this fiscal year. Uh, because of this, I will be focusing on our operating budget tonight as I feel it's the best way to provide the most comprehensive and thorough view of the budget process and our spending plan for, for fiscal 2025. Uh, so looking at the, the proposed operating uh, budget summary on the right here, uh, you can see that we do have a modest uh, deficit of about $150,000. Uh, this is mainly due to the mandatory 10% reduction in general fund support that every city department uh, must incorporate into their budgets. Um, while we're still determining uh, where these reductions will be made, uh, we are confident that we will be able to submit a balanced budget on February 21st without causing any service impacts in fiscal 2025. Uh, next slide. Uh, the San Francisco Environment Department is funded by five sources. Uh, grants, the solid waste impound account, fees, interdepartmental work orders, and some general fund support. Uh, grants and the solid waste impound account continue to be the largest providers of revenue to the department at 40% and 36% respectively. Uh, work orders represent about 8% of our revenue and general fund support about 4%. Fees make up 12% of our revenue, though roughly 10% of that 12% is related to the cigarette litter abatement fee, uh, which does not impact the department uh, directly as it's a straight pass-through to the Department of Public Works and the Tax Collector's Office. Next slide. 
And with that, I'll actually hand it over to. Um, just, um, we really wanted to emphasize the grants that the department has been actively pursuing. Um, and so this first grant slide just shows the universe of um, grants and funding that we've pursued. Um, and the, these are the proposals that have been submitted since November of 2022. Um, and so we've requested almost $100 million in grants from a range of sources, um, including a lot of federal and state monies, but also nonprofits and other um, opportunities that are out there. Um, next slide. Um, so you can see here that um, we've been um, successful at securing just over $42 million in um, grants, and that we're projecting to receive um, another $2.6 million in um, formula funding. So um, while that does require applying for these types of funding, um, the expectation is that we should receive them. Um, and I think this is also a good example of some of what Joe was talking about in terms of trying to see the AAO budget versus the operating budget. Because, um, for example, the ABAG $40 million there is a four-year award. So. Um, we might be spending it at roughly $10 million per year over four years, but um, it might show up um, as a larger tranche of money depending on how we end up budgeting it. So um, a lot of the time, the grant cycles don't match our fiscal year exactly and are often for two or three years. Um, next slide. And then here is the inventory of grants and prizes that we've included in the proposed AAO budget. Um, and this um, includes funds that we've secured, um, as well as many funds that are um, grants that we typically receive each year. And then there's also um, grants that we've used our judgment to determine that we have a reasonable expectation that we should receive these grants and we're putting them um, into the budget so that we have the authority to spend. Um, and we do, of course, monitor so that if we were to budget a grant that we didn't receive, we would just make sure that we would adjust our budget to not have any of the associated spending. But the hope is that we'll um, win um, these grants um, going forward. And we're continuing to look at this list just to see if there's anything else that's pending that we can add. But right now, this is the comprehensive universe of what we're looking at for the proposed budget. Um, great. Now, we'll let Joe um, finish up with two more budget slides, and then I'll jump into a conversation about general fund. Thank you. Uh, so when we look at the fiscal 2025 budget against the current fiscal year's budget, we can see that there's an increase of almost $10 million year over year, or about 30% for fiscal uh, 2025. Uh, this is mainly due to new grants that the department is expecting to utilize in this fiscal year. And that's illustrated by the 83% increase in grant revenue and the 92% increase in non-personnel non services. Uh, on the expenditure side, uh, the grant expenditure increase of 79% uh, is due to a mix of funding from new grant revenue, uh, as well as programmatic increases in the impound and general fund um, grant expenditures for next fiscal year. Uh, we also see a 20% increase in the services of other city departments expenditures, which is almost entirely due to, the, to an increase in the cigarette litter abatement fee for fiscal 2025. Uh, on the revenue side, uh, the increase in other city department sources is made up of uh, incremental increases 
requested for fiscal 2025 from our partner departments, as well as an increase in the utilization of the uh, uh, fixed-lead SF work order, multi-year work order, uh, with the Department of Public Health. And finally, uh, the net increase in general fund support that you see here is uh, due to uh, a fiscal 2025 add back, uh, as well as uh, a carry forward of previous um, general funded add back revenue that uh, we intend to utilize in fiscal 24, 20, or excuse me, 25. Uh, next slide, please. So, every city department is required to submit a two year budget every year. Uh, but because of the nature of our funding and our heavy reliance on grant revenue, it's incredibly difficult to accurately forecast a budget for the second fiscal year of our submission. Uh, this is illustrated here. You know, we can see that there's a current deficit for fiscal 25-26 of over $2.7 million. Um, this large deficit is due to two factors. The first is that the department has not yet secured uh, approximately $1.4 million of uh, general fund support for fiscal 2026. Um, there we go. The second factor uh, is that there's several grants that are active in fiscal 2025 that will have concluded before fiscal 2026 starts. And while we have every confidence that we will you know, cover this gap by the time we submit our uh, fiscal 2025-26 and fiscal 26-27 budgets uh, in next year, we, you know, many of those grants we haven't even identified yet, much less applied for or, or you know, have been awarded the, the funding. Um, so you know, it, this is the reason why we focus primarily on the next fiscal year uh, when we give these, these presentations. We simply don't have enough information to give an accurate um, picture of our budget two years out um, because of the nature of how we are funded. Uh, next slide. And that actually goes back to Leo. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. All right, so, um, so general fund is the core conversation that we're having right now. And so the mayor's budget office did um, have requests for our department. So um, we talked about the reduction of 10% of general fund support, which is equivalent to $200,000 each year. Um, the one challenge that we're having that we talked about at the operations committee was that the climate action plan funding um, was understood to be an ongoing commitment by the city, and it was funded last year for both um, fiscal year 23-24 um, and 24-25, um, so showing for both years of last year's two-year budget. But in the base budget this year, the funding in the second year, so 25-26, um, was not included in our budget. And so, you know, I can speculate and guess it could have been some kind of error that was made, but in the operations committee meeting, I felt that I was confident that the mayor's office was gonna restore that funding. And um, unfortunately, in our conversations with the mayor's office, they indicated that this wasn't something that was unique to us and that they may or may not have 
chosen to do that. Um, and so they wanted us to just share with them different scenarios for how we would handle that if they didn't restore that full funding um, that was assumed in that second year of the budget. So they sort of said that there's 18 months and think about how you could try to make do with less. Um, so I think for us, um, what I'm likely to move forward with proposing is assuming that that, fund, that funding is c continuing as it should be and actually um, making those positions permanent as we were expecting to do. Um, and then based on that, making the $200,000 reduction from that amount. And I think that that would be reasonably received by the mayor's office, although we'll continue to have conversations with them over the next few weeks. Um, but they do want to know sort of what their options are for other ways to achieve savings. So, um, well, first, just to, to, to meet the reductions for the current year, we're looking at um, you know, whether there's the possibility to shift any um, staffing costs onto other funding sources. So if there's grants that are appropriate or possibly um, shifting some costs onto our overall operating budget, which has the negative effect of driving up our overhead, which we're always trying to get down. But um, that's something that we can look at and are looking at. Um, we've also been working closely with our climate team talking about the climate equity hub and the model there. Um, right now, there's funds that are with a community group that um, they received in the 22-23 fiscal year, and um, that funding hasn't been spent down yet, and we're still working with them on refining how they use that money. And we think that we may be able to get some savings um, by bringing some of that work in-house this coming year, so that's something that we're looking at as well to try to get the savings that we need. Um, and then finally, um, will also demonstrate for the mayor's office what different programmatic impacts would be if they chose not to fully fund the 25-26 budget. So, I mean, again, with a rolling two-year budget, whatever gets established um, becomes the base for the following year, but of course it can be revisited, which can work in the department's favor or it can work against us. So it's just something that I think, you know, we're all thinking about um, how to, try to stabilize this so that we can get the best commitments possible that the city can um, support the department in its ongoing work. Um, and so, you know, we really appreciate the commission's thinking on that. Um, so next slide, please. Um, so here's the table again. This is the full array of what the general fund um, is supporting and um, essentially the the climate action plan piece for 25-26 right now isn't in the system. So that's the main sort of contentious item that we're sorting out with them. Um, but we'll also be looking at this um, to, to try to find the $200,000 per year reduction. Um, I think I mentioned last time, but just to reiterate, the $50,000 cut we made mid-year was ongoing and will um, be credited toward the $200,000. So um, we're looking at another $150,000 from kind of this range of expenses. And that I think we can manage as long as we have the full support in that second year of the budget. Um, so then next I have information about the landfill contracting and just wanting to give an update on that. But before I roll into that, I think 
if it's appropriate, should I see if there's any questions or clarifications at this time about the general fund conversation with um, the mayor's office? Yeah, so if I may just summarize. So, so the major issue, as highlighted by uh, both Joe and Leo, is that one roughly $1.3 million shortfall we're going to hit in, in the second year of this budget process. And so when we had this conversation at the commission last year and at the board, at budget committee, the understanding was that the positions that were being funded through the general fund uh, allocation were long-term positions. That was part of the, the rationale that we used, that the building decarbonization work isn't a, a one-year program or two-year program. We need a 20-year ramp to get there. The uh, goal of integrating racial equity into our work it's not a one or two year program. It's critical to how we advance all of our environmental justice and racial justice goals for the entirety of our climate action plan. And so this has been a little bit of the back and forth we've had with the mayor's office. So, so to their credit, they're challenged with a very challenging budget, as I mentioned in the very beginning. So this is not to say, hey, this is unfair because there's a lot of concessions that are gonna have to be made this budget uh, cycle. I think our challenge is, while we've shown a tremendous amount of resourcefulness, as shown by the grant slide, in terms of like bringing in dollars into San Francisco to fund these positions and fund projects in the community, it's almost being discounted as well. Keep up with the grants, even though you don't, you're not, we're not gonna give you the positions to actually implement the grants, which, which doesn't work. And that was part of our other argument that we use that there's all of this money for the Inflation Reduction Act, there's all this funding available, but we need the staff to do the work. It takes a tremendous amount of work to actually apply for the grants. And then even if you're successful in getting the grants, we have to implement the grant to actually be successful in uh, achieving the grant goals. And so we're continuing uh, to try to push uh, for these positions because without that, I mean, there is no way we have to cover a $1.4 million shortfall when only 4% of our entire budget comes from the general fund, right? So that other piece is really important, that while a lot of other departments will meet their kind of cuts through attrition, through vacancies, they'll say, oh, we won't fill these positions. We don't have that luxury because we only have a very small number of positions that are fully funded through the general fund. And so really what you're saying is, if you don't give us funding for these positions, we will have to, we'll be back in that same position another year from now and saying all of these folks will get laid off, um, which is not fair to the work that we're trying to do, but also not fair to the staff because it is not fair to the staff that we've hired on thinking that this funding will be ongoing to have to worry about their job each and every year because it's budgeted that way. And so this is what uh, we're, we're faced with right now and what we've tried to present. And so... I know there's a, another item uh, before the commission as far as a letter that, that you will consider, uh, but those are the points that we're also advocating for on our end from the staff side. Um, and while we have the staff, the slide up, I will just add one more point, which is the, um, the mayor's office did ask us to like pause hiring for new initiatives. And so um, we were ready to hire the senior healthy communities coordinator, the 5642 position there um, on the toxics team, who you've been hearing from. Um, and that work relates to the conversion of landscaping equipment from gas powered to electric. And so, um, 
I think that um, this is not an area where we plan to propose um, reductions in. Um, it's a requirement that um, that the it's a it's a mandate from the city, and um, it's an important area where we've been able to get external money to leverage this, and then also um, we've been able to um, really identify that it serves the um, lower income communities that um, really need the support and we think that the city's compliance itself um, will really benefit from us moving forward this program. So we're hoping that once we finish those conversations we can get the go ahead to um, complete that hiring process and move that forward. But um, you know I think it's, it's interesting because I feel like I, I hope I haven't been like overly harsh about the mayor's office. I think it's just they don't have a full comprehensive balancing solution yet. And so they're really reluctant to let any options go. But it, it's hard for us to operate when, when it's like, wait, don't do anything. Like, show us every hire that's going to happen in the next six months and let us say yes or no to every single thing. Because they don't have the bandwidth and um, it, it can be a challenge. So I, I definitely, you know, I've been in their shoes and I can sympathize with their problems, but I'm hoping that we'll be able to really just move forward with some clarity and um, some stability for our teams. Um, so with that, the landscaping, um, I mean, the landfill contracting piece is just to give you an update on some conversations that we've been having. Um, and there is a related um, budget piece to it, but it's not general fund. Um, so our current landfill contract is expected to expire on July 21st of 2024. Um, it's either that date or when we reach 3.4 million tons disposed, which is currently projected to be reached in October. So that's why we're working with that July 21st assumption. Um, the city has the option for contract renewal, which is adding six years or 1.6 million tons, whichever comes first. And so our estimate is that um, based on our disposal rate that it will be the tonnage and that the contract extension would go until November of 2028. So we need to extend that contract and we need to enter a new contracting process. Um, and contracting takes a long time and just for some context, the current con the current landfill contract took seven years to get finalized. We're hoping to do this in three to four. Um, I think there were legal challenges last time that we're hoping won't arise this time. Um, but another comparison is the municipal refuse collection contracting process was started in December of 2021 and has been also really time consuming. And that's been with a lot of direct support from the Office, office of Contract Administration. Um, and so for this um, landfill process, based on conversations that um, Ties had with our central agencies, with um, OCA and the controller's office and the mayor's office. Um, our department um, has stepped up and is willing to um, lead that contracting process. And we've identified that um, in addition to some contracting dollars that will be needed for consultants, as well as a little bit of work order money to the planning department for environmental review, we would definitely need an additional position. So we're proposing a senior administrative analyst 1823 job class um, to be added to help with this administrative piece. Um, 
Our new contracts and grants manager, Sheila, started today, which I'm super excited about. Her name's Sheila Layton, and she'll um, supervise um, this function. And so the process is that we'll be um, meeting with um, all of our key elected officials um, in sequence, but we have talked to the controller's office and the mayor's office about this, and um, they're supportive of us moving forward with this request, um, in particular because we can use um, impound account dollars that are available for this so it doesn't touch the general fund. And um, I think we anticipate board support as well. And then um, we'll formally go to the refuse rate board to get their approval to, to do this work um, and spend that money um, before moving forward. So that'll be another complexity that we're adding to our budget. Um, but I think it's just like technically complex. It's not a like political complexity. At least that's my hope. So um, for next steps, um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to just recap what happens after um, today. So um, for our team, we'll need to finalize the details that relate to the mayor's office instructions related to general fund, and we'll need to reflect that in our departmental proposal to them. Um, we'll also have to do any forms and narratives that, that are um, required and um, look at our fee calculations and all of the usual administrative work that we need to do. Um, I'm also going to um, make an effort to really try to do some technical cleanup to do everything we can to make the budget like progressively more legible and to make it um, more sort of uh, like I'm trying to create some different projects so that we have a little bit more flexibility within projects and how we use funds. So I think that um, you know trying to make those ongoing improvements will be um, the sort of good part of a budget that involves reducing some funding. Um, I mentioned we'll incorporate the landfill contracting work, um, which um, the mayor's office has said they support. So we'll just work with them on how that would be moved forward, if that's something that we should put in or if they want to do it later. Um, we'll keep having conversations with our partner departments about the work orders that we have with them. And so we've gotten some firm commitments and then um, some conversations that are still pending. Um, so for number four, um, we'll just refine our staffing and budget details to make sure that we're, we have a balanced budget. and. Um, I'm also going to just make sure that we've got completely updated revenues and expenditures, showing our most accurate projections that we can get in, and also showing the correct color of money. Um, and then after that, by the 21st, we'll get everything into the um, IT system, and then we'll submit our required narratives and forms to the mayor's office and controller's office. So. Um, with that, um, just to recap the commission's action for today is you have the option to approve the Environment Department's annual appropriations um, ordinance budget for fiscal years 2024 to 25 and 25-26. So with that, I'm happy to field any other questions with Joe and Ty's help. And otherwise, um, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Tompkins. Uh, just going back again to the slide where it has the positions for the general fund, um, you indicated that it was the Senior Healthy Communities Coordinator that was yet to be filled. Are the, all the other positions here already filled as, as shown in this exhibit? 
Um, so for the climate action plan positions, those 5.15, um, they were all filled. Um, the administration position, um, that person left actually before I got here and um, we were waiting to hire for the um, contracts and grants manager before backfilling that position. So um, that 1822 right now is, is not filled, um, but it is in our hiring plan because we do feel like we do strongly need that that function. Um, it's always hard, like at you know when you have a program, it's always easier to um, illustrate like what that person's doing. But I think having that additional contracting capacity to me is super needed, especially having seen how we don't have any duplication um, based on the last three months without um, David, who left our department. Uh, yes, please. So, in reference to the Climate Equity Hub, it was mentioned that there they underspent. Uh, in that area, is there any impact or concern that um, their goals or efforts would be compromised um, by the underspend? Can we find other efficiencies? Uh, can you give me a little more detail of what's happening there? Yeah, um, regarding the Climate Equity Hub, we've been engaged in like really open conversations uh, with Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, which is the grantee. And so I think we've come to agreement on what money was underspent, what work uh, we want them to focus on. Some issues they're having organizationally too with being able to meet some of the needs for the Climate Equity Hub. So I think we've come to a good place in terms of like the reduction and then the efficiencies of shifting some of that funding to fund staff uh, to support some of the other work. So uh, we're kind of allowing uh, community advocates to focus on what they have capacity and also the expertise on in terms of certain components of the Climate Equity Hub and then we're gonna tackle some of the others. And so that's how we're gaining the efficiencies to work together and save some money. Okay, great. So, and just one other question, in, in terms of efficiencies, have you looked across to see where um, program management, project management disciplines will yield greater efficiencies? How many, I guess I'm trying to look at how many people in your divisions actually have that competency or training? Um. I'm trying to make sure I understand your question. So just, you're saying like within each program area, if there's sort of the, like the management to ensure that things are happening in a sort of the most efficient way possible and that we're not like losing any staff time to waste or any of that. I mean, it's hard with a complicated bureaucracy, but I, I do think that the program managers um, have teams that they're able to work closely enough with and manage on a day-to-day -day basis that they have a good grasp of how their staff are spending their time and advancing their projects. Um, I know that within the administration group, we wanna improve um, all of our processes that um, interact with that work. So for example, if we're spending too much time on contract modifications because let's say, a I'm working on one right now where there's a contractor who, not due to the contractor's fault, but they need an additional three months to complete a scope of work. And there's no cost to that, it's just the, there were some delays that resulted in the one-year timeline no longer being feasible. So we've been going through a lot of work to update that contract. And to me, if we can find a way, for example, to build in contingencies or to, um, 
you know, when appropriate, um, make sure that we're checking in with contractors when they fall off schedule to make sure that we don't end up having to do as many contract revisions. I think that's kind of a concrete example I can see in terms of practices that we have. Um, when I talked about the like trying to group things in projects earlier, I think that that's also a tool that can help um, program managers who have more flexible monies have the ability to know that they can move money like from one year on to the next year, for example, with a little bit less uncertainty. So I'm hoping that that's going to be something that will allow people to to plan more transparently and effectively. So that's you know those are small things. I mean, ultimately, like you know, I would I would love to see the city's overall like global business processes improve. Um, but I think that we can um, find ways to do more to collaborate with kind of leadership within those departments to make sure that we're able to um, keep our pieces moving um, and to make sure that we're not the bottleneck when there's like, you know, six month processes, that it's something that is not stuck with a program staff member or with the admin team, but is just that we're genuinely waiting for a central agency to complete their review to advance the work. If I might add, um, you know, it's been great having uh, our new deputy director, chief administrative officer, uh, Leo, here in his position. It's been uh, pretty much Joe working on his own, typically with the budget process, and seeing the two of them and really evaluate, like, what improvements we could make within how we do our own department budget has been wonderful over the last few months. This is only Leo's first budget uh, with the department, so he's this is almost a okay, let's get through this budget process and like identify those areas that we're gonna need to improve going forward. And then also this is giving uh, Leo exposure into like where are the areas for improvements and efficiencies that we need to move forward on in terms of like how we're allocating staff for various funding sources and how we're tracking all of that. And I think everything's moving towards the direction of improvement, um, but we've definitely made some progress over the past few months already. Concerns. With that, we probably yes, Commissioner Bimeo. Anything we need, we do need a motion to um, move this budget forward. So, with that, is there a motion to approve the budget as presented? I'll motion to approve. Okay, we have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan, a second from Vice President Juan. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? All right, and seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Please call the roll. President on. Aye. Vice President Juan. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Yuen. Aye. Okay, with that then, you have a budget. Thank you, uh, Leo and Joe, for your work on this. Uh, with that, we'll go to the next item then. All right, the next item is item 10, review and vote on whether to approve letter regarding ongoing general fund support for environment department staff and programs. The sponsor is Mike Sullivan, Commissioner. The explanatory document is the budget letter. This item is for discussion and possible action. I believe Commissioner Sullivan. Okay, so um, this item is about a topic that we heard from, heard about from staff a few moments ago, um, specifically general fund funding in the amount of about $1.3 million for five key positions focused on implementing our uh, climate <coughs> action plan. Uh, last year we made great progress in getting dedicated general fund funding 
for these positions, and funding is secure through the 24-25 uh, budget year. But as we heard from staff a few moments ago, we recently learned that funding for these positions is not assured for the 25-26 budget year. If general fund funding is lost for these positions, the consequences are dire. For one thing, we rely on these positions to generate um, grant funding. Largely as a result of these positions, the department has been able to secure grants of nearly $43 million for climate action priorities. But more generally, we need these positions to help deal with an emergency, which is the climate emergency that was declared by the city four years ago in 2019. So this draft letter in, in our materials is a respectful request to the mayor to fund these positions in the 25-26 budget and avoid turning back the clock on San Francisco's climate efforts. So I, I've reviewed the letter myself. I appreciate uh, the text and the, the tone that it strikes. Uh, and at this point, are there any discussion or changes other commissioners might want to make to this letter? Seeing none, uh, do I have a motion then to approve this letter? I move to approve the letter. We have a motion from Commissioner Tompkins. I second. From Commissioner Bermejo. And with that, let's go to public comment again. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, please call the roll. President Anand? Aye. Vice President Mon? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Tompkins? Aye. Commissioner Yuen? Aye. And with that, the motion passes. Thank you. Next item. All right, the next item is item 11, director's report. The speaker is Tyrone Chu, director. The explanatory document is the director's report. This item is for discussion. Uh, so, commissioners, uh, this is your more lengthy, detailed uh, director's report that you received in your packet. So it goes over a lot more than what I'm going to cover here. And so I encourage you to look at all the great work that the staff have been doing uh, over this reporting cycle. Uh, a couple of things I do want to pull out and mention, uh, one being uh, the announcement around San Francisco Climate Week. Uh, about three weeks ago, Mayor Breed announced that we would be having our second uh, SF Climate Week between uh, April 21st to the 27th. Last year for the first one, it was much more focused on the private sector and kind of climate technology and innovation space. Uh, this year, we're really excited as kind of a department to scale this and really bring in kind of community voices, community engagement activities um, during this week to kind of like bring some energy into the climate space. So uh, we're gonna be presenting more information as, as this rolls forward over the next two months, but I encourage uh, all the commissioners, if you have ideas around volunteer opportunities, I look at Commissioner Yuen, uh, this is the time to kind of like generate interest because I think it's a great opportunity to kind of share across sectors and, and different groups uh, to highlight all of the amazing work that's happening in the city and how much work still needs to be done, both on the private sector side, but also within government and the community side as well. And so I look forward to presenting more information going forward. Uh, also really excited and want to give a lot of credit to our environmental education team. Uh, that's part of our community partnerships and engagement program. Uh, two weeks ago, two weekends ago, we launched our first inaugural climate youth uh, fellowship program. And so we're bringing in youth from all of the various high schools here in the city and bringing them together to uh, work on a climate project for either their school or their community. Um, get mentored by one of the staff at the Department of Environment on 
you know, what, the, what a career path might look like in the climate environmental space. And they're also getting both college credit and a stipend because we're partnering with the San Francisco Unified School District. So we've pulled together this amazing program that offers, you know, helps propel, hopefully, uh, the youth along their journey in, in the environment space, hopefully, uh, because we're going to need that energy uh, from them to actually carry us forward uh, into the future. Uh, another great announcement from the Community Partnerships and Engagement Team, uh, we recently announced our request for qualifications for our first community engagement uh, kind of proposal. So we've been hard at work trying to figure out, you know, how do we leverage the expertise that exists within all of the community-based organizations and nonprofits that do amazing work within the city as we look to kind of expand our, our, our work in various neighborhoods and communities. And so we've put forward our first uh, RFQ for short uh, to encourage community groups to apply. And so we can basically create a short list, if you will, that will allow us to move forward with contracting and partnerships with these organizations. And so instead of relying on the goodwill of these uh, community-based organizations, which are str oftentimes stretched very thin, uh, we have a, a contracting vehicle to partner with them uh, basically pay for their services that we would be partnering with them on from the department, and more importantly, advance kind of the grassroots efforts we're all trying to uh, advance through our climate action plan. Uh, we continue to make uh, incremental progress on our reuse ordinance. The commission last year passed a resolution asking that the department move forward with a reusable ordinance. I think. Uh, Hopefully, we're, we're close to the finish line. I keep saying we're close to the finish line, but I think we're close to the finish line. Uh, we're having some conversations with the Golden Gate Restaurant Association on some language tweaks. Uh, hopefully, if all goes well, uh, we'll be announcing a new policy. Um, I don't want to jinx it, so maybe this month, maybe next month. Uh, that's kind of the discussion we're having right now in the final stages of the ordinance, and happy to discuss that in more, in more detail. Uh, lastly, I want to highlight the great work of uh, our chief policy and, and public affairs uh, team led by Charles Sheehan. Uh, we've had a lot of great coverage in, in the press recently. Uh, we've been highlighted uh, for our work with our e-bike program and the expansion of our Department of Energy grant. Uh, we recently had in October a great piece from KQED around our Healthy Nail Salon program that you've heard about at the commission meeting. We got a lot of attention over our tree chipping uh, program for Christmas trees after the Christmas tree holidays. Uh, and we have a lot more in, in the pipeline. And so really want to congratulate the press team for doing amazing work on that front. Couple last things. One, you may have read in the paper around the Berkeley lawsuit and the Ninth, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals choosing not to rehear the decision uh, basically overturning Berkeley's rule to restrict natural gas into new buildings uh, in Berkeley. Uh, we have been working very closely with our city attorney and Department of Building Inspection, kind of evaluating, kind of tracking the progress. Um, we took a different approach as a reminder as a city in how we structured our own ordinance. So we saw what was happening in Berkeley. Uh, we took note in stock and we actually crafted an ordinance that was different. So we, instead of focusing on the climate benefits uh, in terms of greenhouse gas reductions of not using natural gas, uh, we went the direction of really highlighting the public health and public safety benefits around not using natural gas in buildings. And so our, because of that, our ordinance is, is structured a little bit differently. 
so we're continuing, and I want to make sure the commission knew, we're continuing to implement uh, our natural gas uh, ban here in San Francisco, and we have no plans to stop that, and um, that is moving forward, and we actually hope to expand that going forward uh, with major retrofits in the coming months. And so uh, we're not stopping, we're continuing to move forward, and a lot of other cities and ourselves are talking over uh, what's recently happened in Berkeley. And every other city we've heard is continuing to move forward with their own natural gas bans. And then finally, I just wanna recognize uh, our commissioners, uh, Commissioner on, uh, on out when he's not being a commissioner and not leading uh, Brightline Defense, is also an amazing artist. And so I really wanna recognize and acknowledge uh, Commissioner Ahn for his work in, in basically getting published uh, by Penguin Books. So I wanted to congratulate him on that. And also uh, add that his artwork is found in our annual report. Uh, and so we always get the privilege and luck of having Commissioner Ahn contribute to that. And so I wanted to call that out. For free. Uh, so that whenever he sees it, you, you get to see it. We really are lucky uh, to have him uh, and his artwork. And also wanted to recognize Commissioner Bermejo. Uh, she was named as our Mission Neighborhood Center's Helen F. Chavez Legacy Award honoree for 2024 for her amazing work in the community and uh, for really championing families and small businesses. And we all couldn't be happier for her. So I just wanted to end on those two acknowledgements. So congratulations. And that concludes my report. Any other discussions or questions for our director? Uh, yes, Commissioner Bermejo. I have one question relative to uh, Climate Week, and it's very timely because I got an email from the UFW Foundation that is seeking to be included in anything we might be doing as they are uh, promoting a docu-series about the impact of climate change on farm workers. So I'll pass the information on and uh, anything that I can let them know about how th they could be included or know about some of the events would be great. Thank you for that. Uh, and then if anyone has uh, similar kind of information or, or other organizations we wanna be partnering with, just please send them my way and uh, we'll get them in contact with the team and kind of figure out the logistics of it. But we've heard I just had a meeting today with the International Ocean Film Festival. They do a big event in April uh, each year highlighting films around kind of ocean conservation. They're looking also to, to partner during SF Climate Week too. So the amount of just interest from people, um, from large organizations, from the state, from the federal government, from others uh, in wanting to take part in this week has been tremendous just from the announcement. So I think it's gonna be a, a wonderful week um, full of activities, both from the community side and, and from uh, a learning side, because I think there's a lot we can learn from each other still. Um, I'd love to connect with some of those students from that new program that you have in partnership with SFUSD. I think that'd be fantastic. Ab absolutely. And then um, your ordinance, um, have you considered bringing in Department of Public Health to help you with that? Uh, with Because you're going the safety route for the natural gas? Uh, great question. Uh, we did, part, public health is, is aware of the ordinance, but it's been mostly on the seismic safety uh, aspect. So uh, one of the, the kind of findings is that in a major earthquake, you know, our natural gas pipelines will get cut off for months. And this is from the city's own report of like what will happen after a major seismic event. And so natural gas, while it seems more reliable, the, the common adage is like, oh, well, 
if the electricity goes out, I still have my natural gas. Uh, that isn't going to be the case in a major earthquake because those gas lines will be severed. And it, while it will take several months estimated by PG&E to get those natural gas pipelines up, it'll be a matter of you know a month, hopefully, or two to get the electric lines up. And the other thing to remember is all of the new natural gas equipment and appliances all require electricity now, right? So even if, even if they're all natural gas, the ignition systems are all electricity. So like if the electricity goes out, you still can't use your, your devices. And I think that is kind of a, a shift in thinking because back, back in the past, I remember like, you know, the pilot light, you can go in there, you know, and kind of light the pilot light. You can't do that anymore for, for safety reasons. And so the reliability of natural gas is vastly overstated nowadays. Right. Have we called for public comment? I don't believe we have, right? Uh, we have not. Okay. Let's go to public comment then. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Right. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Right. Next item, please. All right. The next item is item 12, committee reports. This item is for discussion. I believe Commissioner Sullivan. I'm a stand-in for Commissioners Juan and Hunter who were unable to attend the Operations Committee meeting on January 10th. Um, that meeting, we reviewed the department's proposed budget and we considered program priorities for the uh, next fiscal year. And there are no additional committee meetings scheduled at this time. Thank you. Any other discussion? Uh, with that, let's go to public comment again. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Okay. And seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 13, new business future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Hello, commissioners. Um, the next commission meeting is scheduled for March 25th. Um, at that commission meeting, um, we plan to bring to you an update um, from the Climate Action Plan on the implementation of the Building Operations Chapter. We also hope to have a presentation uh, from the Environment Education Team, uh, an update on what's going on um, with their programming. And um, with a little luck, maybe an item on reuse to uh, comment on what our director said for his committee, uh, his director's report. Um, I'll pause to see if anyone has any questions. Well, with that, let's go to public comment again. Are there any members of the public in the room who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, public comment is closed. Thank you, Charles. Next item. All right, the next item is item 15, review and vote on whether to approve the Commission on the Environment 2023 Annual Report. The speaker is Kyla Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is the Draft Commission on the Environment 2023 Annual Report. This item is for discussion and possible action. Commissioners, just one moment while I pull up the report. Okay, commissioners, as you know, there's a statutory obligation that the commission produce an annual report. The report serves as a record of the commission's activities and achievements over the previous year, and can also help us set the stage for the path ahead. Um, I'm gonna review the report uh, page by page. If you have any questions, please let me know. Uh, before we get started, I do wanna thank Mark Nicholas, our graphic designer on our outreach team, who's helped to create yet another uh, beautifully designed and packaged report for us. So here's the draft of the Commission's annual report for 2023. Uh, the structure of the report is somewhat standard from year to year, even as the content evolves. 
Uh, compared to last year's report, we were able to include some more photos from our commission meetings and other in-person events, which we're quite happy about. Something we have continued to struggle with a little bit is that we still don't have a photo of all seven commissioners together. <laughs> we're still working on that. Um, we may not have one for this year's report, but we're very confident we'll have one for next year. Here we have the letter from the commission president. For our commission milestones, the recruitment process for the next department director was a major focus of the commission last year, and that's highlighted here among the commission milestones for 2023. Among the other milestones highlighted here, we detail the commission's focus on cap implementation and the status of key implementation steps. The refuse rate setting process was also a significant focus of the commission last year, and that's something we highlight here. We also highlight the department and the commission's new website, um, as well as structural changes intended to make the commission a little more responsive and nimble um, and efficient with respect to its meeting schedule. Here we discuss the work of the commission's committees. Um, and as you know, the commission um, and its committees transi transitioned from a regular meeting schedule to an ad hoc role last year uh, when the full commission added four additional meetings to its regular meeting calendar. Uh, commissioners completed a demographic survey last year, um, which is a requirement of our racial equity action plan, and we've included a summary of the survey results here. We also detail the retirement of commissioners uh, Heather Stevenson and uh, Johanna Wald, who made a cameo for us earlier, um, and this section recognizes their more than 30 years of combined service on the commission. Uh, here we detail the appointment of our newest commissioners, Angelique Tompkins and Vince Yuan as well as the uh, reappointment of three of our incumbent commissioners. Here we detail the environmental service awards conferred by the commission over the previous year. Um, we were pleased to get some nice portraits with some of the recipients. This is the legislative summary for the full commission, uh, including resolutions and reports approved by the commission. So as you can see, it was a, a busy year in this respect. Um, and as part of our commitment to transparency, we've detailed gifts to the department over the 23-24 fiscal year that were reviewed by the commission. These gifts were also reported to the Board of Supervisors and to the Controller's Office. Um, and as Director Ju noted earlier, President Ahn is also, as we like to say, our artist in residence, and we're delighted to feature some of his beautiful artwork here uh, once again. So we also appreciate commissioners making some of their photos available, um, and Commissioner on again for providing his artwork. It makes the report a little bit more personable um, and a little more fun and interesting. So thank you for that. It's very meta, as you can see, um, <laughs> depiction of ourselves. <laughs> um, I'll pause now and see if there are any questions. Great. We are really desperate to get a group photo with everyone in it, so. We may have to resort to Photoshop if we have to. <laughs> uh, I believe we have to move to accept this report. Um, do I have a motion? Yes. Uh, so we have a motion from Commissioner Wan. Do we have a second? A second. Uh, second from Commissioner Yuan. Okay, with that, let's go to public comment then. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, public comment is closed. All right, please call the roll. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Wan? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Tompkins? Aye. Commissioner Yuan? Aye.
Okay, with that, the report is approved. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, next item, please. All right, the next item is item 16, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2024-02-COE, resolution amending the provisions of the Commission on the Environment Bylaws regarding officers, meetings of the Commission, and requests for notice and agendas. The speaker is Kyle Rayner, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory documents are the Commission on the Environment Bylaws and resolution file 2024-02-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. Um, so commissioners, we do recommend um, several technical and administrative and uh, mostly narrow amendments to the bylaws. Um, I'll be brief here because the proposed amendments are quite straightforward. Uh, first, we recommend amending Article 4 to clarify the timing of commission elections. Um, the current uh, language references a regular meeting in January. Um, the full commission, as you know, does not meet in January. So we recommend changing this reference to February, which is when commission elections have also historically taken place. Um, second, we recommend amending Article 6 to add flexibility to the timing of general public comment in our commission meetings. The current bylaws actually call for general public comment to appear on the agenda after new business. Um, and we do want to promote accessibility and uh, recommend removing this requirement so as to spare um, any members of the public who wish to comment on non-agendized items from having to wait until the end of the meeting in, so in order to do so. Um, and finally, we recommend um, amending Article A to remove a requirement that members of the Commission's mailing list um, affirm their preference for staying on that mailing list from year to year. In practice, members of the public ask to be added or removed to the mailing list throughout the year, and we haven't had issues. Uh, we also don't want to give anyone the impression that they'll be kicked off the mailing list if they don't actively affirm that they want to stay on it. So we're hoping to um, clarify that language a little bit. Um, and with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Any questions? Uh, seeing none, can I have a motion to approve this resolution? Move to approve. We have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. A second? Second. A second from Commissioner Tompkins. Let's go to public comment. Yeah, are there any members of the public who wish to comment? Right. And seeing none, public comment is closed. Please call the roll. President Anand? Aye. Vice President Juan? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Tompkins? Aye. Commissioner Yuan? Aye. All right, with that, this resolution passes, so uh, thanks for this work, Kyle. And then we are now moving to the next item. All right, the next item is item 17, nomination and election of the Commission on the Environment President and Vice President. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, Kyle, could you remind us uh, how this process works? Yes, so uh, we will begin with the presidency, and we will accept nominations for this position only. Following nominations and discussion, there will be public comment and a vote. Uh, then we will repeat the process for the position of vice president, including nominations, discussion, public comment, and a vote. Commission, commissioners can nominate themselves, and nominations do not require a second in order for the commission to vote on a nomination. Um, are there any questions regarding the process for president and vice president elections? Okay. Um, and seeing none through the chair, um, we will now entertain nominations for the position of president. Uh, Commissioner Vermeil. Thank you. I would really like to nominate Commissioner Sarawan for president of the Commission on the Environment for many reasons, but her unwavering commitment to inclusion of communities, especially when it comes to language access, and we know that so many people are impacted disproportionately by terrible things that happen with climate change. And for that and so many reasons, I would like to nominate her for president of the commission. Discussion. 
I, I'm personally very excited about this. Thank you, uh, Vice President Wan, for serving faithfully over the last two years now. And again, I'm excited to step down and see what you potentially do with this. So, I just want to add that yes. Commissioner Wan's service on the Operations Committee is going to be very important in this upcoming year when the budget is uh, such a big, big topic for this department. So, glad to glad to be supportive of this. Any other questions or um, discussion? With that, I believe we have to um, call the roll on this. Um, so we'll do public comment first. Uh, um, yes, thank you. So are there any members of the public who wish to comment on the nomination of Commissioner Sarah Wan for the position of president? And seeing none, uh, public comment on this nomination is closed. All right, please call the roll then. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Wan? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye, aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Tompkins? Aye. Commissioner Yuen? Aye. Now we have a future president. Congratulations. Can I comment? Uh, yes. Can I comment? <laughs> <laughs> I just really want to say really uh, thankful for our uh, president on for your years of work. And I could only do it with your support and also, of course, with all the fellow commissioners' support. And I understand it's time for me to step up. I've been on this commission for quite a long time and also work alongside with Director Chu. So it's my great pleasure to take on this her uh, um, uh, disposition, but really thank you, President Allen, for all your work for many years of work in environmental justice. Thank you. Happy to serve alongside you, President Wan. And it's very sad to oh. see you step down, <laughs> but I know you stay on, so. <laughs> um, at this point, let's entertain now motions for the position of Vice President. And it's my pleasure to nominate Commissioner Mike Sullivan for the position of Vice President. And your commitment to SFD runs deep. And I think with over five years of services on the commission, including as policy committee chair and prior experience on Rec and Park Commission and Urban Forestry Council, your thoughtfulness, your passion, and collective, most important collaborative spirits really are apparent to all. And you have literally written the books for San Francisco's trees. But your interest and expertise extend far beyond urban forestry and include critical areas such as clean transportation and energy efficiency. So it's really with my great joy and my belief that you'll make an excellent vice president and hope everyone will join me in your nomination. I'll say I'm also very excited about this nomination. So I'm hoping uh, myself as well as fellow colleagues will support your new term. Any other discussion? Okay. With that, uh, let's go to public comment. Okay. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on the nomination of Commissioner Mike Sullivan for the position of Vice President? Seeing none, uh, we'll proceed to a vote. Please call the roll then. Um, President Wan? Aye, aye. <laughs> Commissioner Ahn? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter is excused. Commissioner Sullivan? Humbly aye. Commissioner Tompkins? Aye. Commissioner Yuen? Aye. And with that, the motion passes. Congratulations, Vice President Sullivan. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 18, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 7.05 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.